Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Kesey, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your applause. Uh, having some fun with this mixing board here on our Parting Shots Podcast studio. The Parting Shots Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. As we do every year on the final podcast of the year, we will look back at what happened in the uh, sports scene in the Capital Region. A lot of stuff happening, uh, horse racing, uh, some major news a couple weeks ago with the Belmont Stakes uh, coming to Saratoga in June. Uh, Saratoga meet had saw some uh, tragedy uh, during the meet uh, in the summertime. Uh, some successful uh, high school sporting uh, activities happened in the Capital Region in 2023. Um, lacrosse had a good year college-wise. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. And, uh, with, you know, college football, great year for you, Albany, and Union football. We saw... Um, Union coach John Poppy uh, guide the uh, the Garnet Chargers to the uh, second round of the NCAA tournament, and that propelled him to a new job at Columbia. And of course, uh, Greg Atuzo and you Albany got to the semifinals of the FCS playoffs. So, uh, like I said, great year. We're going to talk a lot about that during this uh, podcast. Uh, my Gazette colleagues, Mike McAdam, Adam Schinder, Will Springsett, and Kyle Adams will be a part of this podcast. So he'll, they'll we'll get their thoughts on on their beats and uh, in what happened in 2023. And also reminisce about uh, my uh, beat, Union College Hockey, and uh, we'll talk a little RPI as well. So uh, so coming up, Mike McGannon will talk horse racing. We'll look back at the, the Saratoga meet and the big announcement uh, recently that the Belmont Stakes will be coming to Saratoga in 2024. So uh, stay tuned. What's up, everybody? This is Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio's Freddie and Harry Show, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast with my man Ken Shot, the Daily Gazette Sports Editor. I'll never forget the day I decided to go out for the football team. Mr. Banks, the JV football coach and my history teacher, asked me to stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. He said, hey, Darius. Have you thought about going out for football? I think you'd be great. Fact is, I never played football. Fact is, I never had anyone tell me I'd be great at something. So, with no experience at all, I signed up. And a week later, I padded up and was running drills on the field. I never was great, but playing high school sports was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was accepted by my teammates. And I learned that when someone believes in you, you can believe in yourself. Encourage a student you know to take part in a high school sport. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Indiana Nash. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2024. 
Welcome back to the podcast, and let's get our year in review underway here on the Parting Shots podcast. We'll start with Gazette uh, columnist and horse racing writer Mike McAdam. A lot to discuss about horse racing, Mike. But first, let's go back to um, March when the uh, NCAA basketball tournament was here. And Andre Jackson, the Amsterdam product, to help UConn win the regional here and end up going to the uh, Final Four and winning it all. So what was it like uh, being down at the MVP arena for those games and watching Jackson play? Yeah, it was a treat for everybody involved. Uh, the fans, of course, the hometown kid from up the through way from Amsterdam. It was a treat for Andre. Um, his family and friends got to, to show up for every game that they played. Um, it was great for the media, too, uh, I got to tell you, because it just gave us that extra beautiful local twist uh, on, you know, you might get sort of eight nondescript teams in here. And I mean, you're always going to get some good teams when you get March Madness and, and some interesting storylines. But this just took it to another level because of the local connection. Um, I will give Andre credit for one thing, the least, of, you know, not to mention how well he played and how much he he contributed to uh, UConn's uh, national championship, but um, w- when he was here, the you know the the easy assumption is that he, oh he's going to go visit his family and friend. You know it's it's less than half an hour up the yep. throughway. He's going to go go back to the neighborhood and and see everybody. And he he essentially sequestered himself away from all that because he had one mission. You know this team had the potential to win a national championship. Everybody knew it. And he knew the, his best way to contribute to that was to just, just you know, for, you know, enjoy the local aspect of it. As far as his mom getting to see him and his brother and and you know all his friends and everything. But in the meantime, he had a job to do, so he basically stayed with the team the whole time. Never ventured home, even though it would have been very easy for him to do so, and just ha- had the mission fully uh, in his mind and, and stuck to that uh, game plan. And you know, I'm sure. You know, based on his contribution all season, but especially in the national championship run that that the Huskies made, um, you know, he he made all the right moves. Yeah, and got deserves credit for that. I mean, how much did you know bringing him his spotlight, bringing that to the capital region and, and Amsterdam? I mean, help help uh, the area. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it, you know, the MVP Arena bids for this tournament all the time because they should because it sells out in a heartbeat. Uh, people love the attention. It just, you know, the capital region gets to put on its best face. And then you throw in, you know, the extra element of here's a kid who's also from here. Um, it just piles on as far as the, the benefit that the capital region gains on a national level, showing that, hey, not only can we put on this event, which is going to reinforce their ability to, to get it back someday, but guess what? This is a basketball town, and, and kids like Andre Jackson come out of here. And, of course, uh, this later this season, we'll have the women's basketball tournament here, so it's a, another busy time for MVP Arena. Yeah, right, <laughs> and, and we always love to see the women come here because they try to keep it very regional geographically, you know, with the sites way more than the men do, which means we get UConn pretty much every time it's here, yep. and, and they fill up the place not only because UConn fans travel, but people right here are there. You know, there's a ton of UConn fans. Yep. Well, of UConn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, though. So as I mentioned, Andre was drafted by the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he, how how do you think he'll do in the pros? Well, so far, and I was talking to our colleague Adam Schinder yesterday or two days ago because. You know, he, he used to work for the Amsterdam Recorder. And, well, still does, yeah. of course. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> yes. um, but, uh, 
he's actually was keeping track of them in the last couple of weeks. He played a game where he got like 30-plus minutes. So they're, they're using him on a spot basis. I will say that my brother and I drove down to Washington, D.C. and saw the Bucks play against the Wizards, my, my Washington Wizards, for, my for well over 30 years. <laughs> oh, you, well, my whole roster of teams is, is a little spotty. But um, uh, so we got to see him, and, you know, he – it was actually a close game. It, it was like a tie game halfway through, you know, probably eight minutes left in the fourth quarter before Milwaukee made a run. So he only got in there. Andre only got in there for uh, probably the last two or three minutes. He got a foul, though, and he got a rebound. So he's in the stat sheet for that game. But he's, you know, um, I, I, the one thing he's always, I think he's always going to have a, a steady job in the NBA just based on the fact that he, like, he has a defensive mentality and ability that, is going to appeal to people. I know the NBA is a scoring league and, and you know, Steph Curry and, you know, yeah. people like that. But um, uh, he, he's always going to have a job. Um, I did watch a game of theirs a week and a half ago or so. I can't remember who they were playing. And, again, he kind of got in there during garbage time and immediately hit um, – two straight three-pointers on uh, two straight possessions with his, you know, kind of not the most fluid, beautiful <laughs> shooting stroke. He banked in the first one and then came back down for a little heat check and made that one yep. too, so that was kind of cool. Well, let's uh, go over to horse racing now. Let's start with the Saratoga season. It was not the best of seasons. Uh, a couple of profile, high-profile uh, horse deaths occurred uh, during some uh, major days at, at the track. Uh, and, and we talked about it at the end of the season. It just didn't seem like a, a good year at Saratoga. Well, it, I mean, by the metric standpoint of it, it was a great year. And, you know, this the, the brand of Saratoga is so strong that it's always going to um, be resilient to the bad stuff that can happen in this sport. And, you know, once again, they, they had a great meet from a number standpoint um, and all of those things that you look at once the meet is over. But at some point... We started calling it the meat from hell, and I mean we being some of the people in the press box. Um, it started with Whitney Day when uh, Maple Leaf Mel broke down right at the right before the finish line as she was on the verge of winning the grade one test, um, which there, there were so many angles to that story that made it horrifying for fans and, and even non-fans who might have been watching on TV. It was on a national TV audience in front of 43,000 people on Whitney Day. Um, she's a New York bred. She's owned by Bill Parcells. Um, her trainer's story is just this wonderful backstory. Melanie Giddings, who uh, is a cancer survivor, who um, has really created a great working and some, to some degree personal relationship with uh, Bill Parcells, who she considers like a second father figure. He even named, you know, she's from Canada, so the whole Maple Leaf Mel thing. He named the Philly after his after this young trainer. And all these things uh, just kind of just hammered you when you saw this happen, in, again, in front of a huge crowd that was just utterly aghast and, and gasping and, and then crying. Um, so that was the first one, and you thought, well, you, well, you don't think this, but, you know, <laughs> you don't think that it's going to happen again. And it did, on again, of, on Travers Day, which w was very kind of – eerie parallels to Whitney Day. It happened on a big day. This time they had 48,000 people in the stands, again, a national TV audience. And he broke down again in a grade one race on the undercard of the main event. And this that is? This time it was the grade one Alan Jerkins, which is the big... The name of the horse was? Oh, I'm sorry, New York Thunder. Yeah, yeah I was getting to that. <laughs> um, New York Thunder, um, again, very similar to the Maple Leaf Mel situation. Um, 
where the horse was on the verge of winning the race by open lengths and broke down right before the finish line and had to be euthanized on the mm -hmm. track. So that was, you know, three weeks later, we saw pretty much a carbon copy of what happened to Maple Leaf Mel. Yeah. And, of course, um, the Travers, uh, what were your, your thoughts on the Travers? Um, it, it, that same day that New York, you know, it was yeah. probably about, it was less than three hours later, uh, the Travers was on the card. And uh, Archangelo, who had, was coming off a victory in the Belmont, was a great story. And that was kind of the other side of the coin because Jenna Antonucci, his trainer, very small operation. The owner, had, I don't even know how many horses he has, but you can probably count them on one hand. Winning the Belmont, which was historic for Jenna Antonucci and also the Travers. Um, uh, so that was a that was a wonderful uh, Travers. The you know what happened earlier that day, notwithstanding, um, you know some of the other highlights among the big stakes. You know I already referred to Whitney Day, um, White Abario. Uh, later on, after after the Maple Leaf Mel um, tragedy, uh, White Abario wound up winning the. Uh, um, Winning the Whitney, uh, defeating Cody's Wish in the process, and of course everybody attached themselves to the Cody's Wish story, named after young Cord Cody Dorman, who, who um, had this rare disorder that that um, he had to use a wheelchair and a tablet to communicate, and he was a teenager from Kentucky. His family drove all the way out here uh, for the Whitney, knowing that Cody's Wish, the horse that was named after him. Uh, was going to be running in the Whitney. I, I talked to their dad on the phone when they were making a pit stop in Niagara Falls. And it's just a wonderful story that everybody sort of, you know, really gained some mainstream attention that you don't always see in, in horse racing. And then the horse gets beat, of course, because, yeah. so, you know, nothing, we can't have nice no. things. <laughs> and uh, and then subsequently, again, very sadly, uh, and I, I, try, I think it was in later... I don't I think it was after the meet, and then poor Cody Dorman passed away um, not long after the Saratoga meet, um, which was not unexpected, but, um, you know, it, it's always sad for this poor kid. He, I mean, he, he kind of attached himself to this horse before the horse was even named yeah. through the Make-A-Wish -Wish Foundation, wonderful organization, and people have been following this story all along. It, don't be surprised if they make a movie out of it. It's that touching to people and heartwarming. Yeah, and Cody's wish win uh, in Breeders' Cup was well, that. Well, uh, yeah. you're you're on the stick today, yeah. Ken. Because <laughs> then, subsequently, Cody's wish and and trainer Bill Mott, he wasn't thrilled with running in the Whitney, but there really wasn't any other spot for him because the forego at Seven Furlongs would have been a logical spot for him. Um, races like that, um, but he's also got the best sprinter in the country in, in elite power, so we were privileged to see elite power win the, uh, you know, win at Saratoga in a race that uh, Cody's Wish could have been in, and running in the Whitney was a little too long of a distance to mile and eighth. Cody's Wish is a miler, which he proved once again by winning the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and he's got my vote for Horse of the Year based on his great record winning the Met Mile this year, but, you know, to some degree... I'll throw in the Cody Dorman aspect of it, and I have no problem voting for him for Horse of the Year um, at all. And, of course, the news that broke a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Belmont Stakes will be run at Saratoga uh, in June. Uh, how much are you looking forward to that? And it seemed like in a column you wrote recently that some people are a little not thrilled. Yeah, well, um, they're, they're thrilled with it being here. They're not thrilled by... Um, their expectations that this is basically going to be a four-day extension of the Saratoga meet uh, in, uh, you know, the second week in June. And um, 
they, they need to, I try to express this, they need to realize that this is not the Saratoga meat, it's the Belmont Steaks transplanted to Saratoga for what will be two years. You know, while, while they renovate uh, Belmont Park, this massive reconstruction pro project going on down there, you know, sort of forced uh, the New York Racing Association to look for something else um, to keep that construction going uninterrupted. So they're going to bring it up here. Um, I understand it. And, and the thing is, um, the, you know, the people being mad about, the, you know, what they anticipate will be, you know, high prices for tickets. You know, the hotels are already taking it to town as far as jacking up, you know, a week's worth of uh, lodging uh, pricing. Um, I always try to approach it from the perspective of everyday Joe and, you know, our readers. And um, But in this case, I, I, I have to side with, like, I don't blame Naira for um, basically applying the same pricing and, and those kinds of things to the Belmont. It's the Belmont stage. Yeah. It's the third leg of the Triple Crown. It's a world-famous, you know, uh, one of, the, one of the biggest races in North America and, and globally recognized as, uh, you know, one of the one of the top races or, you know, the horses that have won at Secretariat. You can go on and on and on. Um, and they're going to have it in Saratoga. And so I think you kind of, I'm not trying to tell people what to do or think, but you have to approach it from that angle and not as, um, oh, this is just like an extra, this is like bonus yeah. Saratoga um, uh, coverage. Um because it's not that, and um, my my first question question to people that are going to be complaining about the pricing is: Have you been to the Belmont? Because this is what you get yeah. if you know from a ticket standpoint, and and you know the concessions and everything that that a fan is going to encounter on a big day like that. Um, so um, I, I get it. I understand why people are mad. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people that live in Saratoga Springs who aren't racing fans who are sort of get into their full curmudgeon mode when the meat comes up and the, the, the town gets overrun with out-of-towners and, yeah. and tourists and everything, who fuel a large large part of the economy up there, but they don't like, you know, they, they want to have their summers free of, you know, all these extra people around. Well, they're going to have to do that again for, like, at least a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the way, I do appreciate the shout-out you gave me in the column. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had to. I mean, I have to. <laughs> a large part of that was me needing to, you know, you know, in our business, when you make a mistake, the first, your first thought after the cold sweat breaks out is, oh my God, I got to correct this immediately <laughs> because I sound like a total, you know, speaking of a part of a horse's anatomy, um, screw total, utterly screwing up the, uh, um, uh, the proposed or speculated uh, change in the, the triple crown schedule next year if the Preakness moves two weeks after its normal starting date yeah, yeah. and one week before the Belmont. You tried to talk me out of it, and, and I give you credit for that. Yeah. Sometimes, um, you know, full block hood, blockhead mode yeah. uh, movement. Well, we'll do, obviously, obviously, we'll talk uh, uh, Belmont Stakes in Saratoga once we get to that season. So, Mike, appreciate it. Happy New Year. Thanks so much, Ken. Same to you. All right, that's Mike. We got him. More with Mike Gazette colleagues as we wrap up the 2023 uh, sports season here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Santa Men's basketball coach Carmen Massarello. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shot. Hi. 
I'm Daily Gazette news columnist Andrew Waite and host of the Weighing In podcast, which takes you inside my award-winning featured news column by offering the backstory, thought process, and interviews that inform my work. Plus, readers have their chance to respond. The Weighing In podcast is available at dailygazette.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Daily Gazette staffer Amira Ditchie. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2024. Welcome back to the podcast. It was a busy year in college football and college basketball in the Capital Region, and Adam Schindler is here to talk about that. And uh, let's start with the good stuff. The college football was a great year for both the Union and New Albany. Let's start with New Albany because the, uh, the Great Danes just completed their season. Uh, tough loss to South Dakota State in the NCAA FCS semifinal, 59 nothing loss, but can't take away from what a remarkable season the Danes had. No, absolutely the the best season in the history of this program. They, you know, back in 2019, uh, they'd seemed to finally like hit their stride in the CAA, got to the playoffs, won a game in the playoffs for the first time ever, and then just COVID hit that team in terms of they didn't do anything in 2020, and they basically couldn't recruit you know, off campus until the spring, of, until middle later of 2021. Guys started leaving, guys started struggling. Just the program took a long time to come back. And then finally this year, uh, the group they found, you know, they reinvented themselves on defense. The offense took a lot of leaps forward and uh, made an incredible run. And yeah, they ran into a, a team in South Dakota State that, uh, from everything I've seen, they're three touchdowns better than any team uh, in FCS right now. What do you think they learned from that game? Uh, what they learned from that game is how important experience is. You know, that's a South Dakota State team that had been there for a long time. Uh, had six-year seniors up and down the lineup. Uh, it's a, it's a, for for them. What they learned was the experience of that game. They learned, you know, there's a play. There's where you've got to go in terms of building a program, especially when you look in those teams in the the Missouri Valley and the Big Sky. Those are the biggest schools out in that area of the country, in the in the, in the upper Midwest, the Plains, Big Sky country. Uh, and those schools have the big-time resources that it's hard for a, a, a school like Albany to match. But that's that's where you'd want to be if you're a program like that. It's almost like some of those schools out there should be in up the uh, the D1 area. Yeah, there's there's certainly an argument that you could that those schools uh, are on the level of any schools in you know the Mountain West or uh, you know what's become of the the bottom half of the Pac-12. Yeah. I mean, how important is it for them to keep this momentum going into next season? I mean, it's really, really big uh, for them to to do that. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna try and recruit off of success, which is always an easier way to recruit. And this time, they get to jump on it. Uh, you know, there's talent coming back. There's they're gonna lose a lot. Guys are gonna go into the portal. You know, multiple guys have already entered the tra- the transfer portal. More are gonna come. Uh, it will be interesting to see what this team looks like come next year. Uh, but there's an infrastructure that seems to be in place this year more than it was after 2019 in the sense that they just they had to wait 18 months in 2019. How much did um, this really save Greg Catuso's job? Because, I mean, obviously you said the struggles, you know, the COVID really hurt, and they started the last two seasons. Was he in any danger at all? I, I don't know if he was in any danger, but this certainly – uh, gives him plenty of, of momentum to to work with. He'll, I I would have to imagine he'll get an extension off of this. He got an extension off of the 2019 run that had kind of uh, was given to him a couple of years late because of some some budgety stuff due to COVID. But I would certainly expect him to to get another to get another couple of years added to it to a deal. And for what he did in, in this season, certainly deserved. It. Yeah. 
Uh, let's go over to uh, Union here, another team that uh, made the postseason and uh, one and done for John Poppy, the head coach who came in in January and then uh, led the team to a uh, NCAA uh, Division Three playoff berth, and, and he got a job as head coach at Columbia. So w- what a whirlwind year for him. Yeah, I mean, he made it a little more than 10 months uh, in that job, was hired in late January, uh, really did a great job, inherited a very talented roster, especially on the defensive side. A uh, ton of that team was back, a lot of fifth-year guys, uh, absolutely ran through the first half of the season. Their non-conference season was just absurdly dominant. Uh you hit hit a couple of bumps, uh, you know, with the loss to Ithaca, and had had some had some tough games. Really came back, made a big statement, winning the Dutchman Shoes game. Got one of the four uh, at large berths. Big win over over Delaware Valley, and then just ran into a very good Johns Hopkins team. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't as a young coach coming in uh, to his first head coaching job who had experience at a higher level. I am not surprised that it was not a long tenure at Union uh, for John Poppy. Uh, one year is quick. I, w- I would have said I think he's a three- to five-year guy. Uh, but when one of the jobs that he'd worked at, uh, one of the schools he'd worked at was Columbia. He's from you know northern New Jersey, has Columbia connections in his family. Uh, it was a job that clearly for him was too good to to pass off. Tough for Union. They'll have to replace it to co- you know two coaches in a year. Of course, I mean he worked for Al, Al Bagnoli down there, who used to coach Union back uh, several years ago, more than several years ago, but thirty years ago. So I mean you can see the connection. You can't blame him. I mean he, I mean like you see, he, and I think he brought some enthusiasm back in that program. It, it seemed to be lacking. Nothing against um, the previous coach, but. Uh, it just seems like you talk to those players and from the start of media day and then uh, talking in the, in the postseason, they just they, – they loved him. He was a super energetic guy, uh, very demonstrative, very, very, very excitable. Uh, and players definitely fed off that. And, and Jeff Berman had plenty of success, brought union – you have to credit the guy. Uh, he came in and brought back a union program that had really, really fallen to, to some pretty low depths in the last few years of the John Odino era. Uh, got them back to a point where they were a, a nationally ranked team again. They were a playoff team in 2019. They were, you know, one weird uh, ending of a, of a loss to RPI in 2021 of being in the playoffs. And, you know, this was, there was energy, and it's going to be – it's a big hire for, for Jim McLaughlin and Union coming coming up in, in the next few weeks. Yeah, we're, we're taping this on December 20th, so who knows who's the coach. They could name the coach uh, before before we post this on the air, so that's just a uh, fair warning, but who knows at this point. Uh, um, let's talk about college basketball. It wasn't the, you know, great – not a great year for you, Albany. They didn't make the American East playoffs. Siena stumbled there at the end and – that sort of has continued, but you Albany seems to be a little bit better this year. Yeah, you Albany, you know, 2022, 2023 was not a, a banner year uh, for this program. Obviously, the entire uh, legal issue with with Dwayne Killings that has kind of uh, clearly seems to have, have passed mostly now, especially the the criminal portion of it that was that was dealt with in Kentucky. Uh, a really really tough. 22-23, uh, but this team has a lot of energy. They did a great job in the transfer portal, uh, bringing in Sebastian Thomas and Amari Marshall, who you know maybe the two best transfer uh, the tra- two best transfer uh, additions in the America East this year. Uh, they're going to struggle to defend at points, but they pl- they play a fun, fast-paced style of basketball. They put up 
you know, 90 plus points a couple of nights ago. They absolutely ran over Siena uh, in the Albany Cup. This team is in a position where they're going to contend near the top of the America East. That always means running into Vermont. Uh, yeah. Vermont might just be clearly better than everyone, but uh, you could put them in a conversation with, with with the Bryants and the UMass Lowells as teams that are going to be contending for one of the top two or three seeds in, in that conference. We talk, I talked with Michael Kelly earlier about the uh, Albany Cup. I'll get your thoughts on that. So what did that mean for you, Albany? Uh, how much momentum can they build off of that? I mean, that's a huge, huge win for them. I mean, just on a recruiting front, if you've got a recruit who was in for that game that was that's looking at you and is looking at Siena, well, you're just looking at the team that won by 35, and that's the team your most recruits are going to be impressed by. And uh, you know they get the Albany Cup coming to uh, you know Broadview Center. They open up their new building, a renovated building this year, which is also a huge, huge boost for that program. There, there's energy. There's energy in a lot of those U Albany athletic programs, and uh, and that's a really really big win for them. What about Siena? Well, how does that affect them? Because obviously they're struggling right now and they just don't seem to have an idea what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, this is a team that is, in, that is in a funk. I mean, going back to the end of last year, they're 2-15 and 15 in their last 17 games. Uh, lost six in a row to end 2022-2023. Uh, to end two and nine this year. They've lost six of those nine games by 20 or more points. I think four of them by at least 30. They've lost one by 40-plus. They obviously got some good news uh, in the last few days with, with Sean Duergordon getting a chance to play after the uh, the NCAA mach uh, legal machinations over the, mm -hmm. the two-time undergraduate transfer stuff, uh, opening up a chance for him to play. Michael Lealy has dealt with some with some ankle issues that have kind of hampered him. So you know, they get into MAC play, and the MAC is a league uh, as much as any you know small or mid-major league in the country where absolutely anything can happen. I mean, the Siena team is one and one in the MAC. Uh, their win was against the preseason MAC favorite rider. They then went two days later to a Mount St. Mary's team that wasn't expected to do uh, to do much and got absolutely run out of the gym. Uh, so the Siena team's interesting for the rest of the year. Uh, those first four or five games when they get into the MAC, those will be telling. Like you can you can say this has been a bad non-conference season and it clearly has, but four or five games in the MAC, if they're if they're you know three if they're three and one, if they're four and two, you know through the through the first handful of games in the MAC, you could say there's there's at least a positive outlook. And we know how the Siena fan base is. They're sometimes impatient. Are they impatient right now? Oh, very very much so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the women's teams both at Siena, you already had some decent years. I mean, uh, to talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously the U Albany women have kind of maintained the standard uh, that that program has gone up to in, in recent years. Got very, very close to another NCAA tournament berth. Uh, lost to lost to Vermont in a in a close, uh, extremely ugly game. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if I remember, neither team hit forty. Yeah, I was. I remember uh, that. Yeah, was I watched but, that? And it's like, uh. Uh, they've come out this year. They're ten and two. Uh, had a, had one of those losses to a really, really good Stanford team. And then a, a loss early on to Fordham, uh, but this team plays the way that, that Colleen Mullen wants them to, which is they play defense and they are shooting the ball really, really well right now. Uh, Megan Herter, the, the former Shen star, uh, transferred from Providence. She's uh, she's really given them an offensive spark, especially in the last four or five games. Uh, Lily Phillips from Cambridge has also started to shoot the ball really well, and uh, they thought they weren't going to have Hellion Hagerstrand. Uh, uh, they thought uh, she'd move on after after graduating, uh, and was actually working as a uh, as like a, as a as a grad assistant student manager 
uh, after graduating while she was pursuing her her master's degree at UAlbany uh, and then decided she was healthy enough and, and, and gave it a go. It's a really, really good team, and, and Kayla Cooper is as good a player as there is in the America East. Yeah, unfortunately for Siena, they suffered a major injury a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Valencia fontenelle Pawson, uh, the, the Gildeland graduate, uh, scary-looking injury that initially Jim Jaber, uh, the head coach, didn't think was quite as bad as it was. Turned out it was an ACL injury. Uh, for a team that doesn't go super deep, that's going to be tough. As a team, though, that is used to, you know, playing uh, with their backs to the wall, they had some really, really tough games last year. They won a game out at Fairfield, playing with six pl- with six available players. Uh, the the top end talent is very, very good. Uh, they're they're two, you know, they're two European standouts: Elisa Mevius, their point guard, and and Teresa Sapala, uh, the, the forward who got called up to the the Finnish senior national team. Uh, right as the season was starting and actually missed the first couple of games for that. But they just haven't hit a rhythm yet. Uh, but they get into Mac play. Again, they're a team that can definitely make some noise. They were very, very close uh, and probably should have gotten to the Mac final last year. I talked to Mike McAdam earlier on this podcast about uh, Andre Jackson. I just want to get your thoughts about uh, what he did uh, for UConn, helping them win the national championship and getting to play uh, regional games uh, at uh, MVP Arena close to home. Yeah, it was special. And I, I have you know particular experience with Andre. I you know first saw him play when he was about twelve years old on the on the JV team at Amsterdam, playing uh, you know youth games where he was far and away the best player on the court. Uh, this was a big thing for for him. He he was he's what well, isn't the you know, he doesn't score you know, 25 points a game and probably never will in his career. But he was the leader of a national championship UConn team, uh, played really, really terrific basketball during that run uh, and got to come home to a huge hometown crowd those two games in Albany. Uh, You could tell it meant a lot to him. You could tell it meant a lot uh, to UConn because they were really fueled by that crowd and just playing unbelievable basketball. Uh, And those two games, they'd lost in the Big East tournament coming into that. So those two games in Albany... uh, where they played the way they did, were really the springboard to, to what UConn ended up doing and winning the national championship in really, really impressive fashion. Yeah, and Mike mentioned about the focus that Andre had. I mean, he could have gone home and see his family and friends, but he you know, kept himself isolated and had his focus on the basketball. Yeah, that's very much you know what he is. He's a, he's a, he's a quiet kid, a very, very, very private kid, but very, very intense, very, very focused. It's obviously great to see him you know, getting, getting a good amount of playing time with the M- Milwaukee Bucks now. You know, lining up there, he's you know starting games alongside you know Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton. It's uh, for a kid for a kid who you know grew up in Amsterdam, played at Albany Academy. Pretty impressive. And now we got you know two Capital Region players with him and Kevin Herter. Yeah. You know, pretty much making you know making their making their names in the NBA. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. Well, Adam, I appreciate it. Uh, Will be interesting to see watch uh, what happens with uh, this basketball programs at Siena and Albany and. 2024. All right. Thanks, Adam. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Back more with uh, the uh, recap of the 2023 uh, Capital Region Sports uh, Year here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is ECAC Hockey Commissioner and Union Hockey alum, Doug Christensen. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shaw. I've got a math question for you. 
When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Ted Remsnyder. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2024. Welcome back to the podcast, and uh, Will Springstead is joining me now. We're going to talk uh, college across in the Capital Region, and I was not really thinking that lacrosse was a good year for the Capital Region, but it turned out it was a lot better than I thought. It was a lot better than a lot of people thought, and it, it took me by surprise when I went over it, but it was certainly led by the U Albany women. Uh, finished 13-7, won the America East with a win over Binghamton, and then had that exciting first-round win over Virginia where they had to erase a seven-goal deficit. Yeah. Played Denver superbly in the next round and a lot to look forward to this year for them. What, what, what does that do for them to, to get their momentum into the 2024 20, season? It it does a lot. You you get a lot of first-year players and players who saw a little time who now are walking a little bit straighter and carrying a little bit more pride and want to up their game because now they're – Yes, it's America East will always be a one bid mm -hmm. uh, league, but now they're the top dog, and you know, let's see what we can do with it. Yeah, this was the this past season was the first year without Stony Brook, so I mean, how much was that a big factor? Uh, you Albany finally getting over that hump and winning the America East title. It certainly was. Stony Brook made the appearance in the NCAA in their own in their new league, um, and uh, they will always be there. But uh, if you Albany can take that role of being the Stony Brook, uh, that's that's big. You 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 get uh, girls coming out of high school who notice that and like it. Well, let's look over to the uh, men's side of you, you Albany. Excuse me, I'm going to cough here, but <coughs> sorry. But then what's, uh, what was it like over you Albany men this year? You Albany men this year, I think, are going to be improved. Uh, they finished 6 and 10 last year, which doesn't sound great, but then Remember, they beat Vermont in the America East semifinals. And as we saw in that game on television, had a chance yeah. to beat Bryant. They're yep. probably kicking themselves that they didn't and could have been in the NCAAs. They return uh, attackman Silas Richmond, who led the team in scoring as a freshman, uh, midfielder Peter Sala, and they've got lawn stick midfielder, honorable mention All-American Jake Pacino to lead the defense. I think they're going to be better. Yeah. I mean, ever since they went to the uh, Final Four a few years ago, just haven't gotten back to that level yet. What is it going to take? It's it's going to take a few more guys like Silas Richmond, uh, who made an impact as a freshman. Um, I think you need those dynamic players. Uh, Albany has had some good players, has had some nice complementary players, but in men's lacrosse Division One, you're going to need some impact guys. Let's go over to uh, Loudonville and then the Siena lacrosse. Uh, the women's team will have a new coach this year, and they also got to the, their um, conference final in the MAC. They did. They had a nice season, uh, beat Niagara in the MAC tournament semis, but lost to the old Nemesis. Fairfield, yeah. Fairfield. Fairfield. <laughs> can't get can't get knocked them off. That's a, they're they've been a tough team. There's there's going to be a seance the next time they play Fairfield. I'm convinced, but they've got a lot of uh, people returning. They've got uh, Kelly Logue who led them in scoring. Grace Dobzinski, 
uh, Jordan Bentley. And the nice part is Sabrina Krasner, who was in goal as a senior last year, is coming back as a grad student. So if you can uh, keep your back end of the defense uh, intact, in that always helps. As we mentioned, uh, the new coach there at Siena, uh, talk about that. Danielle Schwan-Tetralt took over for Abigail Rafus when she went to Syracuse as an assistant. And then uh, St. Rose, uh, women's coach Sarah Martin, left to become the second assistant at Siena. So Good good timing there with St. Rose. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. I'm not trying to laugh at the situation, but this uh, seems like perfect timing. It was perfect timing. And, you know, you've got a a pretty decent uh, coaching squad. You know, if they ever want to have a quick little three-on-three scrimmage, you know, maybe (laughs) – Bet on the coaches if you got them. <laughs> yeah. How about the men over at Siena? Siena men had a good season as well. They ended up in the MAC Conference Final. They had a uh, uh, semifinal win over Manhattan, lost to Marist in a game that you could argue that was there for the taking for Siena, so they've got to feel positive. They've got uh, attackman Pratt Reynolds returning, an outstanding defenseman, and Trevor Marsala returning. They do lose... Uh, Christopher Yang chorus in goal, mm. and that's a big one. Yeah. Um, what about Union? Now? That's so good. Over the, you know, Union's been a pretty good uh, Liberty League, uh, but of course, RIT's the, the nemesis there. Uh, what happened with uh, Union's program this year? Well, you know, it was uh, really in hindsight to reach the final 16 with the major injuries they had to their starting attack, I think was a great season. Um, they never got comfortable in the attack. Their midfielders did most of the scoring, most of the playmaking. That's got to change this year. He, I think Coach Derek Witherford really has to read the riot act to the attack and say it's got to be the whole six of you to work on offense. But, of course, he's got great defenders coming back, and he's got goalie Dan Donahue, who's a two-time All-American and face-off specialist, uh, Matthew Paolato. So there are a lot of guys returning for the old Garnet Chargers. What, yeah, first, yeah, it'll be your first year as the Garnet Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still getting used to that, even though I've not uh, written Dutchman or said Dutchman, uh, thankfully, uh, knock on uh, this stuff here. Uh, yeah, what is it going to take for Union to knock off RIT? I wish I knew, and I'm sure Derek wishes he knew. I Again, I think what RIT gets is they get some of those really top-notch guys, guys who could have gone Division One, uh, And certainly, as we've mentioned before, the Canadian pipeline. Yeah. He seems to have a Canadian pipeline. Um, and I think you're going to need some real studs um, to do it. They, they came close when they had those great attackmen from two years prior when they went to the NCAA, but I think that's what it's going to take because you've got to outscore them. RIT will always score, and as good as Union's defense has been, it can't match that production, and until it does, that's going to be the result. Well, we were talking here at the uh, last week of December that the uh, season does is getting going for, at least for the Division One programs, uh, like second week in February, I believe. It's, February uh, 7th. I, how do you, I mean, how do you put... I mean, you play football in the cold weather, but uh, lacrosse, I mean, it's, it seems like the season's starting earlier and earlier. I know a lot, I mean, I cover college hockey in the season. When I first started, it was like, it was like first weekend of November the regular season began, but now it's like first weekend of October, so I can understand why. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, lacrosse has, and being a sport has grown, there's no doubt about that around the country. You've got teams all over the place now, so, uh, yeah. So you basically had to start earlier because with the you know, tournaments going on. It's true, and and as they started earlier, it used to be, well, okay, we'll schedule a few games down south, and then we'll 
bring you back up north for some games and it would still be cold. But now, that February 7th and those February 8th games are up here. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're playing in the cold and heaven knows what weather might there be on February 7th, but we'll find out. Maybe they'll play in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can do that, but uh, we'll appreciate a few minutes talking lacrosse and uh, look forward to 2024. Thanks much, Kevin. All right, that's Will Springs. We'll have more on this uh, year-end uh, looking back at the Capital Region Sports Scene uh, podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Union College men's hockey head coach Josh Hoji. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. hockey's elite teams, coaches, and student-athletes. ECAC Hockey, 12 programs competing at the highest level. A league where champions are born and world-class professionals are trained. Where history is abundant and a commitment to the cutting edge is unrivaled. The best facilities, the fiercest competition. ECAC Hockey, there's no experience like it. Hi, this is Tyler A. McNeil with the Daily Gazette. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2024. Back to the podcast, and let's look at some uh, big events in high school uh, sports uh, in 2023. Kyle Adams joins us. And Kyle, let's start with what happened in the uh, spring with the Shen softball team. They got to the state tournament. They got to the state final, but a very interesting situation where Several of the players uh, decided not to play in the state final because it was also the day of the prom. So, I mean, how did that all uh, turn out? I mean, I think just the interesting part with how those players dealt with it is they really just looked at it as like this was going to be their team for the next year. But they didn't they didn't really set too many expectations. But then they kind of went into that state semifinal game one on a walk-off, I think it was, in the in the eighth inning of the state semifinal. And, I mean, I, I kind of remember some of the games that I cover in terms of the pictures that I take. And, I mean, those were some of the most excited kids that I might have ever seen in the four or five years that I've been doing this. So. I, mean, I mean, was there a controversy with the, you know, with, the, with the players who stayed? I mean, were they upset with the, with the players that decided the problem was more important? I think – from from some of the parents that I talk to, they're definitely behind the scenes. There was just some struggles with kind of, you know, they wanted to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they all wanted to feel like they got back to normal. Um, I don't think the players held any grudges against one another. Um, I think they were disappointed, but I think looking back on it now, it's something that they've all gotten past. Um, at the end of the day, they kind of took a bad situation and made the most of it. Yeah, I mean, the game went extra innings, I believe, the championship game, right? The championship game was scoreless through until the 11th inning. And then uh, Clarence, team from the Buffalo area, scored one run in the top of the 11th. And, uh, you know, the, the other team's coach, I remember, he told me that that was the best softball game he's ever coached in 30 or 40 years. Um, so it was, 
it was just one of those nail biter, you know, sitting on the edge of your seat <laughs> battles. And that that whole day was interesting for me because there were two games that I was covering at the same time. <laughs> Shen, Shen and Troy, the double A and A game, both started at 11 o'clock. So I was going back and forth between <laughs> two fields watching both games. Yeah, you would think it would be easier just to you know, play one game at a time. But I guess with <laughs> softball, you can get away with uh, playing multiple games uh, at a time. So let's move ahead to what we saw in the football, high school football season and uh, two teams – uh, got to the uh, got to Syracuse uh, to play for a championship. Uh, found that Fultonville and Stillwater, unfortunately, both teams came up short. But the experience for both teams, what was that like? So, I mean, at the end of the Stillwater game, and they played first, um, the Stillwater coach, Ian Godfrey, came out of the locker room, went, walked back out on the field after the game, and obviously that game didn't go very well for them. Yeah. Um, but he, he just looked at me, and he was like, I don't want to leave. <laughs> um, the, you know, Not only does it mean a lot for the kids to get their kind of, you know, a once-in-a-career kind of opportunity, but it, the coaches looked at it the same way, that you can be coaching football, you know, your entire career teaching, and you might only get there once. Um and that's something that both coaches, in one way or another, said to me between Mike Mancini and Ian Godfrey. Uh, obviously, that Fonda game was a, l- a little more entertaining back and forth until the end. Honestly, that might have been one of the better football games that I've ever covered, that uh, Fonda game. Um, you know, their quarterback threw for crazy amount of yards and for a freshman quarterback Keegan Croucher to lead a, <laughs> a class D team to a state championship is something and you know that's that's a whole other story yeah I mean it's just yeah I mean in the end I mean, you know having those teams get there it proves that you know this football was pretty good I mean you know we saw some good battles with Shen and CBA they split that season series with Shen winning the regular season game CBA winning the section two uh, class AA titles. So, I mean, overall, how, how would you assess the uh, football season? So, I mean, with some of those games, you kind of look at it as, you know, a lot of things have to go right to get there. Mm-hmm. With CBA, they were really banged up. They had two players with broken wrists playing in their state semifinal. Niskayuna obviously had a good run to get to where they got to for the second year in a row. And, I mean, really – to get to the dome, just so many things have to go right, um, and obviously Stillwater too. They got <laughs> they they got to their uh, state uh, championship game by preventing a two point conversion in the uh, in their semifinal. Um, so really, that's what I just chalk it up to. You know, so many things have to collectively go right, and for Fonda and Stillwater, they did until the very last time. Yeah. So. Well, it should be interesting how the season turns out next year. Of course, right now we're in the middle of uh, basketball. And uh, so I uh, appreciate, Kyle, a few minutes uh, talking about what happened in uh, some of the big uh, high school events of uh, 2023. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll be back with my thoughts on uh, union hockey and uh, ECAC hockey uh, in just a moment. So uh, stay tuned. Hey, everybody. This is Don Barnes from 38 Special. And you're always rocking into the night when you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Hold on loosely, Ken. Just don't ever let go.
If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Daily Gazette editor Miles Reed. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2024. Welcome back to the podcast. And now let me offer my thoughts on uh, the college hockey year in 2023. And uh, we'll take a look at uh, what happened with the Union men and women. Uh, Josh Howgey completed his first season as the Union College uh, men's hockey coach. Uh, the team went 14-19-2 in his first year and 8-13-1 in ECAC hockey. Uh, the team did get home ice advantage for the first round of the ECAC hockey tournament. Uh, when they uh, beat Princeton in the final game of the regular season. And that meant they faced Princeton again the following weekend in the first weekend of March. And, of course, this season, the, the 2023 ECAC Hockey Tournament had a new format for the first round. Instead of a best of three, it was a single elimination. And as a lot of coaches did not like that and uh, it proved costly for Union as they dropped the uh, – uh, 6-4 decision to uh, Princeton in that uh, game on March 4th at Messerink. Uh, Union rallied to tie the game, but a late goal um, by Princeton uh, put them ahead, and uh, they won it with an empty netter as well. So, And even uh, talking with uh, Princeton coach uh, Ron Fogarty afterwards, who was uh, did not like the format to begin with, and even after winning against Union, still does not like the format. So... I think, I think that's something the, the, the conference has got to look at. Uh, they did it basically because the women are going to have the uh, all 12 teams make the uh, tournament uh, for the first time uh, this season, and that's going to be single elimination, so they want to make it equal. Uh, but uh, does it, it's something that uh, I don't think is fair, unless because you look at the next round, the quarterfinal round, it's still best of three before they go back to single elimination for the semifinals and championship game. So um, I think they got to figure out what format they want. Do they want to go best of three for the first two rounds and then you know, single elimination for semis in the championship, or do they just want to do single elimination the entire way? I think uh, finances have a lot to do with it, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. As far as the uh, union men, a little more about that. Um, it's, this year we're going to see uh, scholarships that are starting to really take effect now. Um, recently, the uh, team named uh, their five got players who signed their national letters of intent. And uh, before that, it, you had to wait till the summertime before the school accepted them, before uh, any of uh, the union coach, past union coaches, could even talk about uh, recruits. Uh, so it's, it, we're seeing some good stuff there. And then, of course, uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, it was announced that uh, the, the, the uh, um, Approvals granted for the uh, Mohawk Harbor Arena project. Uh, hopefully, we'll see some shovels in the ground in a, in a few weeks. Uh, I think there's still some issues to be sorted out. There's additional funding and uh, naming rights. If they get the naming rights, I think that's going to go a long way in getting uh, things going. 
Uh, it's going to be a 2200 seat arena, I believe, and um, with some standing room. Uh, so I, it's 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 time. It's time for that rink, a new rink. Mesa Rink is past its prime and barely holding on. So it's 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 something's got to be done, and uh, hopefully we'll you know so somewhere down the road we'll see shovels in the ground. Uh, the uh, guarded charge, of course, is a new nickname for the union programs, all the union athletic programs. Uh, dropping the Dutchman moniker for Garnet Chargers, uh, a lot of controversy about that. A lot of the uh, alums are not ha- weren't happy with it, uh, but I think we've gotten used to it. And I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough not to say Dutchman or Right Dutchman in my uh, stories, so uh, I mean that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, some I mean some visiting broadcaster, you know, some of the games I've watched when Union's been on the road, they're still having a hard time. Uh, calling them Garner Chargers. I know some some announcers have slipped and said Dutchman, but it's uh, it's going to get used to it. And I think I think over time, we'll everybody will just you know forget about the uh, Dutchman. I know there's some people that are still not happy with it, but you know what? Got to move on. Got to move on with that. So I mean, the, the team right now eight and eight. Uh, they'll resume play on Saturday when they go to Bentley, and they'll start start up ECAC hockey play again next weekend when uh, uh, Brown and Yale. Come to Mesa Rink. So um, Josh Algy, I think he's got the program in the right direction. Um, they have a decent program. I, I think there's the talents there. I mean, I think there's a good possibility. I don't know if they're going to top four team, but I think they could get as high as sixth place and have a nice home ice advantage for that first round and uh, maybe make some noise in the ACAC hockey tournament. So we will see what happens. As far as the women are concerned, uh, you know, this in 2022-23, they set a record for. Uh, most wins in, in a season with 11. Uh, they got their 10th win of the season on January 2nd against St. Michael's. And then after that, just won one more game. They just um, Things fell apart there uh, in the second half of, of the season. And um, uh, the uh, team failed to make the ECAC hockey tournament in the final year of the uh, eight teams making the tournament. But I think it's significant that, the, that they're going to be um, – chance for them to play in the ECAC hockey tournament uh, this spring and get some experience with that. Uh, they're not playing badly right now. I mean, they don't have a winning record, but they have been very competitive in just about every one of their games. And uh, they, you know, they have a nice uh, unbeaten streak heading into the break. And uh, I mean, right now they're in ninth place, a half point behind Brown uh, for that final home ice uh, slot in the uh, first round of the tournament. So, I think if they continue to play the way they are, um, they, they can get and beat the teams they need to beat. Uh, they can make them some noise and you know, at least get a home ice. Be, I think it'd be great to see that happen for for the program. Over at RPI, the men uh, they all got, also got knocked out in the first round of their uh, ECA's hockey tournament uh, when they lost to Yale uh, after earning home ice advantage and. Uh, it's been a struggle this season so far for the engineers. Uh, just three, eleven, and one, uh, two and four in conference play. They've only won just one game at home. They're one five and one. That's something. Uh, the engineers won twelve games at home last year. So something is amiss with RPI. I mean, Jack Watson, the goaltender, has been out since uh, beating our, uh, Union in the uh, first of the uh, back-to-back games back in early November. Uh, so they've been struggling in goals, struggling to uh, score some goals. Uh, they'll resume play Friday when uh, they have a two-game series at Canisius. Uh, that was the uh, where Dave Smith, the current RPI coach, was a head coach at Canisius before taking over 
RPI, and of course, RPI will resume um, uh, ECA's hockey play the first week in the, uh, January when uh, Yale and Brown visit uh, Houston Fieldhouse. So, uh, as I said, it really it wasn't the greatest of hockey years uh, in 2023, and uh, well, let's see what happens in 2024. Like, uh, I think it's a lot of exciting things, especially on the union side of things with uh, uh, athletic scholarships for the men and women slowly being phased in. And then you look at uh, the new rink and uh, the possibilities there and uh, how much that could attract uh, student-athletes to uh, the team. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And maybe uh, by this time next year, we'll be talking uh, about a, an opening game at uh, the new facility. So we'll see what happens there. So I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick a Football Contest in just a moment. This is Union College Baseball head coach John Muller. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. historic conference in college hockey. It's a battle night in and night out. ECAC Hockey, an iconic conference home to 12 of the most prestigious universities and programs in the world, and showcasing the best student athletes in the sport. Top-notch facilities and arenas, incomparable traditions, passionate fans, alumni who go on to become elite professionals, leaders, and champions. ECAC Hockey, there's no experience like it. Hi, this is the Daily Gazette's Cassie Abel. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2024. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 16 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest was Quinton Brown Jr. of Schenectady with a 13-3 record. Quinton wins a $100 Hannaford gift card. Congratulations, Quinton. The VIP winner was Dave Lopez of DL's Lounge with an 11-5 record. I was 10-6. and six. I am 151-89 and 89 on the season. My Gazette colleague Adam Schinder was 8-8. Eight and eight. He is 147-93. and 93. I'll announce the U-Pick'em Football Contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the U-Pick'em Football banner. And you can look for my picks at dailygazette.com. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank my Gazette colleagues, Mike McGatta, Adam Schinder, Will Springstead, and Kyle Adams for coming on the show. I also want to thank you for listening to the podcast throughout the year. I'm looking forward to another fun year in 2024. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on X and Threads at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day 
Good sports and Happy New Year.